Well, I had a decision to make this week. My decision was, was I going to preach a sermon that I wanted to preach, or was I going to preach a sermon that I needed to preach? Was I going to preach a sermon that most people might want to hear, or was I going to preach a sermon that people needed to hear? So I chose the latter. If you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 51. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can look in the uh, Bibles in the pew rack. And if you don't have that, if you have a smartphone, get you version and look at it on there. Psalm chapter 50 and 51, we're going to read this special prayer of David. David prays these words, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in the truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. O Lord, my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Father, I pray right now that you would teach us your ways. Father, I pray that every person here, I know each person here has a story, but you've sovereignly and providentially brought us together. So I pray today that you would teach us, teach us your ways, Lord. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So many times we ask this question, like, why is life so hard? Why is it I blow it so much? Well, I want you to know you have three enemies. You have three enemies in this life. First of all, your number one enemy, well, I'm just not going to give them in an order of importance, but you have an enemy in the world. The world and its ways, the way they talk to each other, the way they treat each other, the way the world sees everything, the way the world has a hunger and thirst for every more, more, more greed, everything. That's one. The world's all around you. Another enemy is Satan. Satan comes against you. He's the father of lies. He's the one who comes against you in your life and tells you every lie and orchestrates so much evil against you. The third enemy you have is yourself. It's what the Bible says is the flesh. It's, it's me. You know, I, that's another. And if you really think about, the, if we're really, if I'm, I'm just trying to be honest with you today, if you really think about those three, that's what makes life so hard. It, 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 there's so many things against me. So many things that, that are so complex in my life. And so I need today the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to each one of you. I mean, I'd rather kill, try to kill a blue well with a pea shooter than to preach without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd rather try to cut all 25 acres of grass on this lawn using an elementary scissors than to preach without the Holy Spirit. And so today... We look at this Psalm 51. Now, we know the origins of this because if you look, as we looked at this passage in Psalm 51, you see right there, at the, we see the heading of it, to the choir master, a Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. What happened was in 2 Samuel Chapter 11, it happened one afternoon when kings go off to war. King David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof on the king's house. And he sees a woman bathing over not too far from him. And he sees that she is beautiful and so he inquires of her. And the Bible is very clear. The person who came back said, hey, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It's like there was a double clarity on who this was. Hey, yo, she's married. We know who she is. But he sent for her anyway. He could have heard that and returned in and said, no, okay, all right, all right. Gone back in, no. And he slept with her. She goes away, sends a message back, I am pregnant. So David has this moment where he could have gone, okay, but no, he doesn't. He orchestrates Bathsheba's husband to come home from the battlefield. Uriah comes home 
And so David says, hey, real quick, if I bring him home and they can sleep together, then it'll all look. I'll try to cover this up. And Uriah has too much character, is too good of a man to sleep with his wife while his brothers are fighting a war. So he will not do that. That doesn't work. So David says, take charge. Everybody pull back. Uriah be left will be murdered. I'll marry Bathsheba real quick so it'll look okay and so nobody will know and this will all be okay. So in the most understated sentence of the Bible, 2 Samuel 11, it ends in these words. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And God sent the prophet Nathan to tell him a parable. And because of the parable, David became indignant. And Nathan looked at him and said, you are that man. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? And David breaks and confesses. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord. And then one of the most astonishing things in the Bible is Nathan says this, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by his deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This is outrageous. Uriah is dead. We have a widow now. And we have a child that's going to die. The Lord has put away your sin. Just like, just like that? Just like that? David committed adultery. He ordered murder. He lied. He despised the word of the Lord. He scorned God. And he just puts away his sin? What kind of a righteous judge is God? I moved to Fort Wayne when I got married. And I went to a church called Broadway Christian Church downtown. And at Broadway was a great church because you never know who was going to be around. I love Broadway, part of it, because on the one side I might have a homeless man, and then the other you'd have the vice president of Lincoln Financial. It was this cross-section of races and socioeconomic and everything. One time I was sitting there, and just like we do, they welcome, and I turned to the guy across the aisle, and I shook his hand. He was thin. He was unshaven. He was, looked disheveled, and he smelled disheveled. And at the end of the service, Bob, my pastor, Bob Yaberg, gave an invitation. And I noticed that the man went up, and they sat there for five, maybe ten minutes, and we had this ministry time, and then at the end of that, he closed it up, and he stepped back up, and he did something very unusual. He brought the man with him. And he said, this man has just gotten out of prison because he did something inappropriate to a child knowing that he had AIDS. And this man has come here this morning wanting to know if he can be forgiven. If this 
is true what I just preached. Now, for me, kind of, I wanted to step back and go, hey, can we call time out? Can I think about this for just a minute? When we see God pass over this, there's sort of something within us that's outrageous. Paul explains it, Romans 3, verse 25 and 26. It's one of the most important scriptures in the Bible. And it really applies to the Old Testament. We're talking about David here. God put Christ forward as a propitiation or a substitute by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine, listen, his forbearance, he had passed over former sins. That's exactly what 2 Samuel 11 and 12 is, all right? He passed over David's sin. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, listen, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, the outrage that we feel when God seems to simply just pass over David's sin would be good outrage. Listen, if in fact God were simply sweeping David's sin under the rug, like I could just pretend it didn't happen. And the outrage that we feel, and this is what I want you to hear today. The death of the Son of God is outrageous enough. And the glory of God is so pure that it upholds, it's great enough that God is vindicated because of Jesus in passing over David's adultery, his murder, his lying. And the same is true for all of us. The outrageous idea that the Son of God would die on the cross is only as we experience and we see, it makes possible the outrageous passing over of David's sin and yours and my sin. And so, when we think about this prayer that we pray, as we, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament, Johnny. He just pleaded mercy. Listen, Jesus once and for all, by his life, by his death, by the blood that he shed, he made it possible for sin to be passed over. And so we add nothing to the purchase of that. We add nothing to the provision of that. We share in the forgiveness and the righteousness by faith alone in Jesus. It's what we need. And you might be looking at this and you go, hey man, you know, that's, you know, that's David's prayer. That's not our prayer. That's our problem. This is our problem. We don't pray like David prayed. We prayed, 
Lord, give me another car. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. I want to say to you, David's prayer was a great prayer. And it's still today incredibly relevant to who we are as the people of God. Listen, because here's David's response. In the time I have left, this is what I want to talk to you. I want to look at David's response to sin. And I want to encourage you to see this. First of all, he turns to God. That's the first thing he does. That's great. Listen to me, especially students, listen to me. God is not your last hope. He's your only hope. He's not who we turn to last after we've called everybody and thought of everything. He is the, your only hope. David turns to his only hope. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Three times he says, have mercy, have mercy, have mercy. You want to think about, why did he say that? Why did he say that? Uh, it's very funny. I worked for a guy named Michael W. Smith who wrote a lot of music. He's written a lot of stuff. And a lot of his praise music he gets out of the book of Psalms. And he told me one time, he's like, man, when I get to heaven, I owe David a bunch of royalties. It's like ridiculous. Like, you have no idea. David, where did David get this? This have mercy. Exodus 34, verse 6. When God, for the first time, gives a description and really gives a commentary on who he is, he says, the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness and keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. David knew that there was guilt, true guilt, and that true guilt could only be forgiven by mercy. He turned to God. Here's the beautiful thing today that we live in, and this is what I want you to grab a hold of. We know more about the mystery of redemption than David did because we know about Jesus Christ. We know that at the right time, at just the right moment, God sent forth his son, Galatians 4, 4, to die for us. It's not a mystery for us that he, God did not leave it left undone. It didn't just sweep under, that God sent his son. Here's the second thing that David does. What does David do? How does he pray? He prays and he turns to God and then he prays for cleansing. He prays for cleansing. Uh, verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge, verse seven, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, that hyssop was the branch used by priests. This is Leviticus 14. He takes that hyssop, that branch, and he sprinkles the blood. And so David is saying, Lord, the way that you do this in the temple, the way that we see this, hey, cover me on that. He says, cleanse me. He's crying out to God the ultimate priest to forgive him. 
it's fitting that we live in this. I've said this, I'm still, it's still getting in on me, all right? Maybe I repeat it because I'm still just needing it. We will never, ever, ever outlive the need for the gospel to be true in our life. You don't graduate from something else. You don't get saved and then you go and you get to something else. You don't graduate to some other thing. We need this desperately to ask for this cleansing. First John chapter one, verse seven. But if, walk, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know that right now there might be an awkwardness in the room. Oh, he's talking about sin. Folks, this church was burdened in 1885. Every person who ever joined this church, number one, had to admit that they were a sinner, period. If you come and join this church, the first thing you got to say is, I'm a sinner, I need help. I am lost, I need mercy. It's the one thing that all of us have in common. I mean, there's a lot of things we don't have in common. You don't like the music I like, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're all kind of different. We all have different families and all that kind of stuff. There's so many things that are, we're different. This is the one thing we all got in common. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us have sinned. And Christ has purchased our forgiveness. He has paid the full price. And listen, but the idea that he paid the price does not replace our asking for his cleansing. Our getting the full payment does not replace our asking. It is the basis for our asking to be cleansed. It is the basis by which we go to him. It's not like, oh, we never have to ask again. I'll never. No. David does rightly. He asks for cleansing. There's another thing that David does. He confesses the seriousness of his sin. He does. He confesses the seriousness of it. Right there, you can see it. He, he can't get this sin out of his mind. It's blay, it's, it, it keeps going over and over in his conscience. Look at verse three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's like, the tape just keeps being played over and over. Look at what I did. I should have gone back inside and we should have never slept here. And no, it should have never happened. I should have never sent you. He's, it's playing over in him. And then he has this exceeding sinfulness of his sin it is only against God. He says, he says Nathan says that, and, he, and David says, against you, only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This doesn't mean that Bathsheba and Uriah and the families and all the people involved were not affected. But ultimately, David knows that this whole problem exists because I sinned against God. I committed treason against God. And David admits this. And then here's another thing. David vindicates God and not himself. This is the difference, listen, between David and Saul. 
Saul would never admit when he was wrong and come clean. David did. There is no self-justification. There's no defense here. He doesn't, you know, well, Lord, but you know the people I live around. You know, being king is really hard. And you know, that person, they, she shouldn't have been out on her. None of that. God is justified. God is blameless. This is radical, God-centered repentance. Saying, God, I confess that what I did. Then he says something that it should not be misconstrued too much, but he says, verse five, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And basically what he's saying is, I sin because I'm a sinner. Like apple trees grow apples. And I, I, and I don't know if you've discovered this or not. And my story is that I sin because it's what I do. And so my only, I'm falling merciful, I have to confess my sin. Then he pleads for renewal. That's what he does here. He pleads for renewal. After turning helpless on God's mercy, confessing his sin, and, and really trying to be serious, God pleads for more than just forgiveness. He pleads for a renewal, a revival, a rest restoration, a restoring in his life. Lord, restore my life. He is passionately committed to being changed by God. And that's really one of the main points I wanna encourage you in today. If I could just sit across the table with just you, I would say this to you. Forgiven people are committed to being changed by God, not just staying the same. In other words, when you're forgiven of sin, we wanna stay free of sin, not go right back into what just got, we got out of. We don't wanna just live in what God purchased our freedom for. So I wanna encourage you today. He pleads for, no, that's another thing that he's praying for. He prays that God would confirm to him his election as God's people. He says in this, confirm to me, remove, don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. And I don't, I don't want that to be something where you're running around and, and, and scared every time that you feel hopeless because, oh no, if I sin, I, I, I'm not, you know, I, I can't, there's no resolution to that. No, 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 we, we, never outgrow need, we never outgrow the need for the gospel. We applied the blood to Jesus. We have 1 John 1, 9. We confess it and then we pray. And he's praised that for a heart and a spirit that are new and right and firm. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh God, only you can do that. That right spirit is a return to innocence that we all crave. He could have returned to innocence at any point. He just kept getting deeper in his sin. But then finally, when he's confronted, he says, Lord, create in me a clean heart. He prays for the joy of God's salvation and for a spirit that is joyfully willing to follow God. Oh God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And Lord, I wanna be a person who loves your word. I wanna be a person, restore that. Give me a revival. Lord, renew me in a way. Give me restoration in such a way that I would hunger after you more than I do sin that gets all, oh, it's getting me in trouble. He says, verse eight, 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, verse 12, and uphold me with a willing spirit. You notice that he didn't pray anywhere in here about sexual restraint. There's nothing about that in here. There's nothing about, oh Lord, help me not watch things, help me not do the right. No, because of the fullness and the gladness in God. For us, it's the fullness and the gladness in Christ is where the renewal is. He asked God to bring his joy to the overflow of praise in 15. He asked God to be used, and he says, Lord, when I teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you, he says, God, use me even though this is a transgression. And then he says something that I think is so important to us today. It's the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to come and share with you today is that he discovered that God has crushed him in love and that a broken and contrite heart is the mark of all God's children. I have people in my life, just like you, that walk up on me like they, the world, rotates around them. And I, I think about, I have people that, over the years as a youth pastor, I would have parents and other folks that would come to me. And guys, there's just something about that in my life that somebody with a haughty spirit, there's something that just doesn't jive with that. I know this is not popular. I know that it's very countercultural. Listen to me, especially you men here who have been told in business about self-confidence and all that, I'm telling you this. A broken and contrite spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. This is foundational to me. We are broken and contrite all the way home unless sin gets the proud upper hand the gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. I want us to do some business with God. I'm gonna invite Holly back up right now. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, and I don't know everybody here, Lord, you know that. You know everybody here. Lord, I pray that you would draw all men and women to yourself right now. Lord, I pray that the hope of the gospel today, right now, and that your Holy Spirit would help us to be honest. Help us, Lord, today turn to you for forgiveness, forgiveness of sin, that you'd help us to reach out for cleansing, that we would admit our sin, that we would reach out for cleansing, and that, Lord, you would restore us, that you would do the impossible 
Some people think of it as impossible. Lord, you do that right now. Help us, Lord, to be restored. Help us, Lord.